of Performance Publishing Group, making a difference one story at a time. We'll be shining the light on successful founders, entrepreneurs, business owners, and leaders that are getting results and making a difference. We'll talk about how they built their businesses, are creating movements, and leveraging the power of authority in their own lives. Be sure to stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Let's get started. This is Michelle Prince with the Power of Authority Spotlight, where we shine the light on entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders, founders, people that are building businesses and making an impact along the way. And our guest today is going to be sharing some really awesome stuff about culture and organizations and so much more branding too. So so stay put where you are. This episode is brought to you by Performance Publishing. If you have ever thought about writing a book, you should, because your book is your business card. And it's one of the greatest ways that you can impact the most amount of people. We're doing free strategy calls at performancepublishinggroup.com, performancepublishinggroup.com. Grab a call and see if we can help you to realize your dream of becoming an author. All right, let me introduce you to our guest today. Nadir Safinia is, has over 15 years leading and developing, uh, experience leading and developing full-scale brands. Nadir, Nadir describes his purpose as bringing cool jobs to cool people. I love that. He employs emotive approaches from communications and design thinking principles to help organizations become more attractive so recruits will crave to work with them and customers will fight to do business with them. After graduating from the University of San Francisco with a degree in graphic design and coming up in the world of marketing, Nadir left as a creative director and went on to receive a master's in design management in 2018 from Macromedia University of Applied Sciences in Munich. He then landed in New York City working as a freelance designer. Seeing his own success in both ability and reputation, he decided to go fully forth and launch his own firm, Black Ribbit, a brand strategy design consultancy. Leading with care, reliability, and purpose, the team has helped businesses all over evolve into emotionally resonant brands that invite recognition, loyalty, and scale. Nadir even assigned Tears of Joy as a KPI for his company after a significant milestone of bringing a client to tears upon seeing their deliverables. That is so awesome. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Michelle. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for inviting me. Well, goodness, I, I usually don't butcher the uh, the, the bios, <laughs> but I evidently am a little tongue twisted this afternoon. So <laughs> thank you for your patience with me. Quite all right. <laughs> well, I'm excited about this show because, you know, you have such a, an impressive background and, you know, through graphic design and all of the degrees and things you've been doing. But before the show, we we were connecting on, we both have a mutual passion of organizational culture. And I want to talk about that and, and, you know, really dive into how that applies to what you're doing for, for businesses, uh, for your clients. But before we go there, though, tell us a little bit more about how did you get to, why did you make the decision to start your own business, Black Ribbit? And what does that Black Ribbit really mean? <laughs> um, so the, uh, I guess I can start with the name. Um, well, I'll start with why I, you know, coming up in the in the field of marketing and design, um, I started as a graphic designer by trade back in 2007 after school and so on. And the notion of sort of doing my own thing was always in the back of my mind. It was one of those, you know, I was in my early 20s. I was like, by the time I'm 40, I'll have my my own business and that that kind of a mindset. But it was nothing that I um, really ever set a path for. Uh, I kind of 
was going with the flow. I was doing really well at work. Um, then I hit a wall after about nine years at the same company, became creative director and so on, uh, where I also was trained by my greatest mentor um, at the time. He's the one who hired me. Shout out CW. And um, the uh, by the time you know I was hitting that wall, uh, I spoke with the same mentor um, and together we decided it was a good move to go get my master's degree and just go back to school. Um, long story short, came back to New York, was looking for work actually, um, was not getting any bites for various reasons. My, my Dean told me, you know, I was too advanced and people didn't want to hire anyone who would potentially ruffle feathers. They wanted people who could, you know, they could basically direct and push around and so on. So, which honestly, it probably isn't too far from the truth. And, um, uh, in the meanwhile, I was doing freelance work and former colleagues and friends came to my aid, which um, also validated my own reputation and my abilities, which gave me a lot of confidence. And by then, uh, I was able to pay rent in New York working for myself. So I figured, what the hell, <laughs> this is a good a time as any, might as well take the sign and just go for it. And that's how that happened. And I actually launched with NS Design first, which is a very boring, stuffy, old uh, kind of a name, but it was my initials and design sort of uh, spoke for itself. But during my time in Munich, I was uh, sitting on a tram on a streetcar going somewhere and I passed a tattoo parlor that um, I misread as Black Ribbit, but it's, it was actually called Black Rabbit. And I just misread it as Black Ribbit. And when I did that, I was immediately swimming through all these images of tree frogs and glass frogs and various colors and so on. And, um, and that took me down this, this road of frog symbolism and trying to understand what that even meant, why, why that was relevant to me. And I learned that frogs represent transformation, transcendence, the wisdom to empower oneself. They represent guidance. Um, they represent teachers in history and so on. So it really spoke to me as uh, personally because I carry the same values as an individual and characteristically. And Black Ribbit was just a weird, cool word that I thought would be really cool for an agency. It's it's obscure. It doesn't really mean anything. It It conjures up visuals for different people. It's different things. And everybody asks about the name. Apparently, it's very memorable and it's unique. So it, it seemed to work out. And we instill those values of empathy, guidance, and transformation and wisdom into all the work that we do and into our own company culture. Wow, that is so cool. Well, and so unique for what you do, too. It is such a, it, yeah, it catches people's attention. It definitely caught mine. And and who knew that the, that frogs had that much meaning behind them? Yeah. And our our uh, little tree frog, our icon, we actually named her Kismet, which has been crazy because because every time we meet with clients and people who are working with us and so on, it's it's like weirdly fateful every time. So it's it's all sort of fall, fell into place. The stars just aligned. It's pretty amazing. 
heard it. And I can't believe I'm about to share this story, but this is a true story. So my nickname throughout my young years was Kermit and not in a mean way. It was actually really in a fun kind of sweet way, but it was because I had such big eyes and like the, the frog kind of thing. And so I've always <laughs> loved frogs. I mean, truly. So yeah. So anyway, it caught my attention for that reason too, but uh, I love so it. So it is kismet. It is. I know. That's what I was laughing. I was like, well, maybe. Hmm. Okay. Well, okay. So, and now you are helping these brands and let's talk about what's the connection. I mean, one of the things in your bio about helping cool people get cool jobs or, or, you know, making somebody just want to work at a company because of how they show up in, in the world. How do you do that? How do you do what? How do, how do you, you help? Like, how do you help companies to really just redo their brand or, or work yeah. on their brand so that it's attractive to everyone to work there? Or... Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it, it 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 does stem from purpose. In fact, it stems it, it it's rooted in purpose. You know why why something exists? Why um, someone does what they do? What drives them? What motivates them? and um, how that affects how the world perceives them. Mm -hmm. So it's rooted in two things in terms of when it comes in, uh, comes to branding and these organizations. Um, I always take things back to the individual, you know, what we do and how we behave and how we act in, in the world and how we show up, like you said, affects how the world perceives us. And what is that? That's our reputation. So when you have a certain kind of reputation, whether it's bad or good or fun or sad or otherwise, the world will usually reflect your reputation to yourself. Your, your people behave with you the way that you behave with the world. And so when it comes to organizations and wanting, you know, wanting to reframe their positioning and how they exist in the world, we just start by asking questions. We ask a lot of questions and uh, readdress their purpose, what what it is that motivates them, what what is it that got them into business in the first place? Is it about their customers? Is it about is it about a personal vision? Is it about something that they want to create that no one else has created? How is that going to affect the customers they're trying to reach? Do they even have customers or a target market that they're trying to reach? Once you start defining these things, then you can start addressing Who's going to agree with you on these decisions, on these visions? How are you going to get people to get on the same page with you to do the same thing that you want to do, to align someone else with your vision? So the idea is we've created this model called an inside-outside-in model, where we align the customer value proposition with the employee value proposition. Mm -hmm. So we give employees... Um, the uh, we create programs that help employees feel a part of the big picture. So they feel valued now that they know where, where their work is going, where their energy is going, and how that's being used in the, in the end goal, how a customer experiences their input. And that changes the entire mindset of not just the employ employee, but the employer, because now they have people who care about being on their team and care about being at work and being part of a group. And it's so important. I mean, we spend so much of our day at work that you, you, we want to be a part of something, right? We don't want, I mean, yes, work is a means to an end in some ways and that, you know, 
a paycheck pays for us to have the apartments or the houses or whatever. But, you know, that's a lot of time to just exist at a job, you know, but to be a part of something is is really cool. And you you do a lot with that. Let's talk about organizational culture. What, what does it mean? What is culture? Everybody has a different you know, definition, but what is it really, you know? Culture is, um, is rooted in values, right? It's, it can be, uh, for example, again, if we think about just human culture, societal culture, um, macro cultures, micro cultures, we can say that a culture is connected by language. Um, you can say it's connected by a belief system, religion, um, a place of birth, um, for example, just just because I'm uh, Iranian by blood doesn't necessarily mean I just fit into the Iranian demographic or stereotype or whatever. Even within within macro cultures like like Iranians or French or Americans, we have you can be American, but then you're within a subculture of that. So it's really about values. It's about finding people who are like-minded, who share the same values, who speak the same language, who know the same um, vocabulary, who, you know, maybe listen to the same music or care about the same outcomes, whatever. And in the case of an organization, it's the same thing. If, if you hire people who just don't, maybe they get what you do, but they don't care about it. You know, they're not into it. They don't, it doesn't make them they have no passion for it. It doesn't make them excited. You know, they're kind of complacent about it. They're only there to make a paycheck. And that's kind of it. You're going to pick up on that like that. And that's why recruiting is so important. Screening is so important. Interviews are not for no reason. But also the interviews need to be done in a way that's interesting for the for the recruit. You know, interviews these days, for example, you know, you, <laughs> you have people clawing to get jobs. Um, on the one hand, on the other hand, people are getting jobs left and right. So it's a weird dynamic right now and has been for the last two, three years, where there are a lot of jobs available and a lot of a lot of high talented um, candidates. But the interview process is like, six weeks to two months long, or something. And like these people have offers and they have offers and the employer is losing out on really good talent because they're just bumming these people out with these insanely long, um, long-winded, unnecessarily involved interview processes. So, you know, when you're trying to create these processes, it's important to understand your company culture because if you understand your company culture, then your processes become a lot more efficient because you know exactly who you're looking for. It's the same way as a when you create your ideal customer profile, your ICP, you need to be creating your ideal employer employee profile, your IEP. So that, you know, when you talk to somebody, you go, okay, they fit these boxes, they fit these narratives, then you have a conversation with them to to measure out personality chemistry, see if there's any alignment from a from a characteristic point of view. And then it should be pretty easy to say yes or no. You don't need to go through 18 different interviews with 18 different people to, you know, and then have offers on the table and go, I, I need to make a decision. And then you make a, a quick, quick decision that ultimately ends up failing. Yes, that's so good because you're right. I mean, and in fact, I've been through those types of interview processes that last forever and you meet everyone and it's like, 
is it necessary? And, you know, usually you can tell pretty quick if you fit in to a cultural or if somebody else fits into you. Like, that's why I love, um, you know, meeting somebody in person is, is the best way. But even through Zoom, I mean, you 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 can figure out really quickly, like if, if somebody's connected or if they're they're like minded, you know, absolutely. And it's so, so important. I, I think this is so incredible. So the culture, let's talk about the way things are today versus like when I first, you know, started out into the in the working world back in the gosh, in the 90s, things have shifted and changed a lot for people looking for jobs. What have you seen? So um, one thing that, uh, you know, my, I think you and I were talking about this, and I've talked about this a lot. I, I remember the days of um, sort of the tech, the, the tech booms of right before the 08 crisis, and right after actually, basically, basically in the early 2000s, right up until about the 10, the early 10s, um, there was just this sort of excitement in the air, with especially with the startup companies. The startup realm really had this very cool, desirable vibe. You know, everybody wanted to work at the startups. Uh, it was just a cool place to be. People roller skated in in the hallway, down the hallways. There were game rooms. Everyone was insanely productive. They worked their asses off, but they were they were having fun doing it. And and they were they couldn't wait to get to work. They had friends from work. They socialized with their their families and so on. And to your point, we work eight plus hours a day. I mean, you might as well have a good time. And um, and you know, over time that that culture sort of changed. And I'm not saying I want to replicate that because that's actually impossible. Societal changes, implications, sensibilities, personalities have shifted. The culture has shifted. So you can't just copy that and hope that the same thing will happen. But something pretty drastic has happened in the recent years that was perpetuated by COVID. COVID did two things. Um, one that was really good, but the result of it, especially in this country, went in an extreme as it usually do does. It highlighted self-care, which is a great thing. It highlighted self-care to be mindful of yourself, of your own health, of your stress levels of, you know, just making sure that you can exist in the world that you're you, you're keeping your anxiety in check, you're keeping your, um, your uh, uh, sensitivity to germs in check, and so on, just being more mindful of yourself. But it also pushed that notion to an extreme, which I call selfish care, it became selfish care, to where you know the, the the whole great um work exodus and and the great resignation and and the the negativity around the workforce and work cultures really started coming about and it doesn't mean that you know there weren't areas that needed adjustment or fixing you know i'm not i'm not blaming anyone like employees or employers for anything in particular what's happening is that the self care notion went into such an extreme that it became selfish and it became all about me, 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 me. I don't like my work hours. I don't like doing what I do at work. I don't like my pay. I don't like this. You need to do everything that appeases me so that I show up and do the work that I'm supposed to do anyway, that I'm getting paid for anyway, <laughs> and that other people are counting on anyway. And what's what that's done is that it's become, the narrative is like, I want you to do everything for me. So then the groups, the teams, the employers are going like, well, what about me? 
you consistently go jump from job to job to job because you feel unsatisfied, but you're leaving people behind at the same time. And I feel like people don't realize that they don't real like the notion of a community and family values and these values of a collective and how collectives can together grow faster, grow bigger, grow, be more innovative, be more creative, and so on than the individual is somehow lost. Mm -hmm. And what's more is that the individuals who are like, I want to live my life the way I want to live it, forget that they're the reason that they can live their life the way that they want to live it is because of collectives. So as soon as that collective starts to break down and everyone is just an individual, well, there's a name for that and it's called anarchy. And it just doesn't work. It simply systematically doesn't function. And that can be taken way down into the workplace. And if you can create a model that makes you succeed in the workplace and really kill it in the workplace so that people will not only want to be there, but are feeling valued to the point where their quality of life is better and, you know, is taking into consideration their quality of life in a way that is considerate of that. Be like, we understand that you are an individual and that you need time for yourself and so on. But also understand that we need you, not just the fact that like we need you to be here so you can slave away, but we need you. We can't do this without you. And that narrative needs to be clear so that it's a two-way street. And I, and I, and I believe, and we're doing this with um, certain uh, customers and organizations where we're developing programs that create a much more desirable place to be. And if you win in the workplace, this is actually a quote, and I can't remember who said it, but if you win in the workplace, you win in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I love all this. This is so good and and maybe overlooked, or maybe it feels too hard for companies to, to really create this. So let's just say somebody's listening and they have a business. Maybe they have anywhere from, I don't know, 10 to 20 employees. Maybe they're a small business. Does this apply to them as well as the large organizations? And and if if so, is there a difference in how like how do you how do you address this and actually do something about it? That's a really good question. Um, it definitely does. Uh, when when you're talking about the smaller companies, uh, it really boils down to um, growth goals. So, for example, uh, another philosophy that we have is we we tell. We advise companies and organizations to um, work and build value as if they're planning to one day sell the company, to exit. Even if an exit is not on your mind, if you're building as if it were, then you're consistently crossing your T's and dotting your I's and making sure that you're building value in all capacity, whether it's financial, cultural, uh, productivity, or otherwise then you're building towards something that the market's going to fight over to buy one day, even if you don't want to sell. But the point is that that um, that peak is sort of the most optimized, best possible position you can ever put your company in. So to the point where people are bidding on your company over market value. And the point is, if you're a 10 to 20 person company, um, you're probably not dealing with a lot of like the common culture clash issues because a 10 to 20 person company is more than likely a very open company with a pretty open communication uh, uh, protocol and so on. If it isn't, then you're already having problems at that (laughs) size. Um, 
But uh, if they work in that with that in mind, with that concept in mind, then they're going to grow fast. And if they're doing that, then they're going to already be putting in protocols and programs for recruits and training and onboarding and buy-in and um, teaching the company values, teaching the customer value proposition, getting the acceptance, getting the desired outcome, creating quality of life, a good quality of life for their employees off right from the get-go. Then they then they won't they'll they'll sort of um, evade the the typical challenges that come from that rapid growth. And with a larger company. Um, those, you know, who, who's either stagnant or growing too fast, uh, they sort of missed on those uh, uh, planning on those developing those programs and so on. So you go in sort of from reverse, you say, okay, we need to go back and look at what happened, what's been going on in the last however many years, when did the slowdown start? When did the break start? If you have high turnovers, why is that happening? What is the sequence of events that happens during that time? And so on. And, you know, we come at all of this from a brand strategy point of view. So we're, we're coming at it from a narrative and story and um, point of view where, like you said, in the beginning, we're coming in there to try uh, to make companies look more attractive and appealing, so that recruits are just craving to work there and customers are fighting to do business with them. And we do that by highlighting company image, culture and reputation. Mm, so good. Yeah. When we help people with books, I always say, you know, don't, nobody wants to buy a book, you know, they want to buy the benefits of it. And so don't just go out to write a book, be on a mission because people, missions cause movements and people want to get on board with a movement. And the same goes with the company. I mean, if they're on a mission, they have a purpose, people want to be a part of something that's, that's making an impact in the world. So how you brand yourself, put yourself out there as a company is so important and totally what you do and are an expert at. And if somebody was interested in learning how to work with you guys, how what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, well, directly with me, uh, I am weirdly available. People think I don't do anything because I'm so responsive. Um, but you can find me on LinkedIn, just Nader Safinia, all one word. Um, you know, linkedin.com slash IN slash Nader Safinia, or just Google me. I'm very easy to find. Uh, you can also reach us directly from the website, uh, blackribbit.com. Um, and you can get in touch with us there. Uh, more than likely, you will talk to me uh, directly. I, I, I'm very easy to talk to. I'm easy to find. And I'm very responsive, like I said, but that's the best way. Let's just, I, I like to just have conversations, you know, making to your point, like, let's just feel it out first. We don't, we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> let's just see if the chemistry is there and um, we'll just ask a lot of questions and get to know each other. I love that. And Nadara being that available, I mean, that's, that speaks volumes for you and your company too, because you know, at the end of the day, when you partner with somebody, if somebody's going to work with you guys, it's a partnership and and there has to be that um, trust and authenticity between. So very, yeah. very exciting stuff. I love this conversation. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. This was fun for me as well. Totally. I love talking about this. Yeah. Yeah, no, me too. Definitely. I love I love all organizational culture things, but definitely 
check out Nadair and um, anywhere online, but also go to blackribbit.com. Great name. And, um, and, and take in all the different things. I think this is so important that easily gets overlooked and how amazing to create a culture that people want to be a part of. But then when you have that culture, now you're going out and you're making a bigger impact in the world. And that's really what business is all about. All right, that's it for the Power of Authority Spotlight. We will see you next time. Make it a great day. Thanks so much for listening to the Power of Authority Spotlight. If you are a successful founder, entrepreneur, business owner, or leader that's getting results and making a difference, and you'd like to be on this program, please visit performancepublishinggroup.com forward slash podcast to apply. That's performancepublishinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Also, if you got something out of this interview, please share this episode. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag, the power of authority spotlight. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content, so make sure you don't miss any episodes by subscribing. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our websites, performancepublishinggroup.com or michelleprince.com. And follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.